Welcome to Wellversed, where we bring biblical principles of governance to governmental leaders and you. This is the Wellversed podcast. We're happy to have with us Chris Mitchell uh, from Jerusalem. I, I suspect he's had almost no sleep for uh, how long? 48 hours or so. Uh, Mario, why don't you introduce? He's a hero to us, as a friend to all of us, so many. Mario, take a moment to introduce him and, and uh, let's find out what he can tell us. Thank you so much, Chris, for taking up your time to join the World World Prayer Network. Uh, we are so appreciative for Chris and his work in Jerusalem. He is the CBN uh, course, Jerusalem correspondent, uh, has worked in the region for many years. Uh, Jim, Rosemary, and I were with him in, in Iraq and, and in Israel several times. Uh, Chris, thank you so much for joining us. Please uh, tell us uh, from your perspective, uh, obviously everybody's uh, very close watching 24-7 what's happening in Israel, but please tell us from your perspective how you see things unfolding. Well, uh, great to be with you, Rosemary, uh, Jim, and Mario, and thanks for uh, mobilizing prayer for Israel at, at this critical time. Uh, prayer is is invaluable right now, and I know millions of people around the uh, around the world are really rallying around Israel at, at this time. Well, yesterday, as see, people are saying, was Israel's 9-11, almost 50 years to the day that uh, the Yom Kippur War, where the Jewish state was surprised by Arab armies, uh, especially Egypt and Syria, and almost uh, <clears throat> ironically or eerily, this uh, failure of intelligence allowed uh, hundreds of Hamas terrorists to come in and uh, kill. We know now as 700, we may it may go up to a thousand, and <clears throat> may go up to um, nearly 3,000 wounded or injured, and many of them seriously. Uh, it, it's almost unthinkable to realize what happened yesterday for hours. Where and still some of the fighting is seems to be going on even now, where uh, an army base was taken over, where uh, families had to hunker down and in uh, for hours, and if they were discovered, families were slaughtered, uh, and it was it, it's just a horror. And we, as we were just talking before we started, some of the atrocities of what's happening to those that have been captured and taken hostage into Gaza is unspeakable. It just reminds people of uh, inhumane brutality from the Holocaust. And uh, right now it has tra traumatized Israelis uh, in a very, very profound way. Uh, I was talking to an Israeli friend of mine earlier today and he said, first of all, many are confused and, and wake, 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 woke up today and thought, how could this have happened? How, where was the IDF? Where was um, the police? And how could this happen inside Israel uh, and, and for so long? Uh, I've talked to a few uh, officials. I've talked to a former ambassador, a uh, friend of ours, Danny Danone, and uh, the IDF, an IDF spokesperson asking that question, how did it happen? I don't think anybody officially right now is, is wants to talk about that. Nobody wants to point any fingers. I think the leadership of both the current government and the opposition right now are trying to maintain and are maintaining a sense of unity 
former IDF chief of staff, Benny Gantz, and now leader of one of Israel's political parties, is saying, uh, we are one. We may have been taken by surprise, but we will not be defeated. And uh, there's talk of a possible unity government, emergency uni unity government right now. Um, but not only are they confused, but they're angry. They're getting angry about uh, how this could happen. They're angry at Hamas for what's happening. And I think there many are heartbroken. Um, we, uh, we broadcast a, an interview from Channel 12 on one of our Facebook Lives today. And it was the father of a lady named Noah who was kidnapped during that rave party. And uh, the video of her with this look of sheer terror on her face being whisked away on a uh, motorcycle. And he was just weeping uh, during this interview about her daughter. It's just probably the worst nightmare for any parent. And it seems to be the worst nightmare for Israel right now. So they need comfort. A lot of people have been talking about Isaiah chapter 40, comfort, comfort ye my people. And uh, to pray for Israel, to pray for its political leaders to know what to do, for its military leaders. Many anticipate right now a major ground offensive into Gaza. And uh, the, what I've been hearing is, is kind of expressed in this particular phrase, what was will never be again. The kind of relationship that Israel had with Gaza and, the, and Hamas is not going to be the same. The Gaza Strip is not going to be the same once Israel is over. Um, the rules of engagement probably will change dramatically. Um, Israel has been trying for years to minimize civilian casualties. I'm not sure they're going to be as uh, surgical as they have been in the past. Uh, and they want Gazans to get out. They want to, them to get out of harm's way. Uh, they don't want them to be in the midst of what may be a very brutal and a very long campaign to defeat Hamas. Okay. Um, can you just tell us, as of now, uh, in terms of the uh, casualties, how many people they think um, were uh, kidnapped and um, the, uh, those that are injured? I'm not sure there's an official number of uh, how many were kidnapped. Uh, I, I think dozens, maybe as many as 100, uh, have been kidnapped. Uh, I do believe that those that were held hostage in Israel itself have been freed, but the number of those uh, inside Gaza, um, I'm not sure there's an exact number for that, but I'm sure it'll be coming out very soon. Um, but, and that's the complicating factor for any ground offensive is that these are human shields and these are hostages. Uh, what may happen to them if Israel does um, have this ground incursion? Um, that's very, very complicating factor for the military and the political leadership right now. And I would add one of the major questions right now is what will happen with Hezbollah on the northern border? And will they um, enter the fray? Will they attack Israel just like Hamas has attacked Israel? And uh, because they have the same tactics, the same ideas to take over northern villages, uh, to kill and kidnap uh, as many Israelis as they can. And uh, if that happens, then Israel's going to be fighting a two-front war. And then if that happens, the question is, will there be even an escalation between 
Israel and Iran directly. Um, before we get into uh, any escalation, um, what do you think might have happened in terms of the intelligence breach? What options, what, how, how could this ever happen with the idea? Uh, I've asked that question probably three times today, and uh, I'm not sure I've got a clear answer. I have heard reportedly that there were three battalions that were um, sent from the Gaza border to the West Bank uh, to help some of the terror attacks that had been happening there. That could explain why there was uh, not only a breach, but when the breach happened in maybe as many as 29 places during the fence, uh, that there was nobody there to respond. Uh, I'm sure they saw what was happening. They monitored that, that border 24 seven. Uh, there was actually one of the um, uh, bases that were overrun is one of the observation bases. And apparently many of the women and many women are actually on duty monitoring the cameras and the uh, electronic surveillance. They had to lock themselves in a bomb shelter and stayed there for maybe as long as 12 to 13 hours before they were rescued. Um, it, it's a good question. I, I, I don't have a good answer right now, Mario, and I'm, I'm not sure there's a lot of good answers that are being uh, offered right now. Um, my colleague, Julie Stahl, was on a conference call this morning with the IDF spokesman, and uh, he kept asking, he kept being asked that question, and he finally said, don't ask me anymore. I, I'm not sure there's a good answer, but I'm sure when things happen, when, when things settle down, and perhaps after Israel um, invades um, is, uh, the Gaza Strip, there'll be more answers. It, it reminiscent of what happened in the Yom Kippur War, where it was an intelligence failure then. And just watching the movie Golda the other day with my wife, uh, you know, she took the brunt of the blame, but there was a lot of blame to go around, and I'm sure it may be the same situation today i had heard that um somehow they were able to scramble the effectiveness of the iron dome and it didn't work as effectively as it should have is that true it's possible i hadn't heard that mario but um it did seem that there were a number of strikes that got through the um uh at least in the south we were woken up uh saturday morning here in jerusalem to the sirens that went off multiple times and uh, you could hear the booms of the Iron Dome here hitting some of the missiles out of the air. Um, but whether or not they, they reduced the effectiveness of the Iron Dome, I'm not sure. But certainly it um, uh, there were a number of rockets that did get through. You could also say that they may have overwhelmed the Iron Dome. I believe they fired as many as 2,500 rockets uh, within several hours, and that's that may have been part of what why some of these rockets got through. Um, our understanding, we've had other programs regarding China and Russia. That the calculus from outside looking in is that we we in the United States with the Biden administration as are the weakest ever. So that if any type of strike or attack, I think that is very clear. On 9-11, when our administration gave released $6 billion of, of money to the, to Iran and, and the Ayatollah said they're going to use it any way they want to, yeah. um, 
how do you see the whole Iran calculus? Uh, number one, I guess, and then number two, if this escalates, would be the would this be the time that Israel may have to utilize a preemptive strike against Iran to try to take care of their nuclear armaments? Well, I, I think first of all, the uh, six billion dollars. I don't know if it was time for the six billion dollars uh, as it was released uh, several days ago would have been you know in the pipeline to Hamas. Um, but certainly it sends a signal of appeasement to Iran, to Hamas, to Hezbollah, that uh, for some reason, that's hard to uh, understand here in Israel, and I'm sure they're in the U.S. as well. How do you give $6 billion to the, the world's leading state sponsor of terror that is funding Hezbollah, Hamas, the Houthis in Yemen, and other militia groups around the region and they want to have a ring of fire around uh around israel and that, that's what they've been doing and why you would want to fund that uh and with the caveat apparently that they would be going to use it for humanitarian reasons and then the leaders of iran say no we're going to use it any way we want so um i think that emboldens israel's enemies hamas and hezbollah and Iran itself, I, I, it's it's almost incomprehensible how that kind of money would be given to uh, a regime like Iran. And um, Israel, I mean, this has been a question even before, uh, having to take action on a preemptive yeah. strike on the nuclear capabilities in Iran. Yeah, I'm sorry, I didn't uh, mention that. It could be, uh, that's been a question you know, Rosemary, Jim, and Mario, for years, will uh, Israel attack? Can they attack? If they attack, will it work? Um, it might be. Uh, in, it might be, and, and it was, as was suggested to me in one of our interviews today, why wait for Hezbollah to strike first? Uh, why not preemptively go after Hezbollah? Obviously, they're going to go after Hamas and maybe even go after Iran as well. Um, it's the head of the snake that is trying to encircle and strangle the Jewish state. Um, so that's one thought, and, and I'm sure that's likely some of the topics of conversation right now uh, among the military and political leadership uh, of Israel. Do we strike first? Um, and th this, you know, it's so deep it's so visceral what's happened to Israel. Um, you, could, you could imagine that these kind of responses uh, would be palpable right now, uh, you know, for Hamas, Hezbollah, even Iran. You know, for years, uh, Israel has had this sort of concept that we'll just keep um, a terrorist state on our border. Um, you know, people have called it cutting the grass. You know, every so often there will be a flurry of rockets that comes out, whether it's Islamic Jihad or Hamas, and they'll surgically strike into um, uh, Hamas and and in the Gaza Strip. And uh, real, it, they're seeing it that doesn't work in the long term. You you let a terrorist state a terror state um, get funded and equipped and armed by Iran. And, uh, and you can see the results, what happened yesterday and today. My last question, and then I'm going to turn it over to Jim. 
Um, you mentioned the possibility of an emergency unity government. What's the likelihood? Does that help uh, a prime minister Netanyahu? And could the prime minister Netanyahu's government be um, hampered by this security breach at the end of the day once it's investigated? I think it's very going to be extremely difficult politically for Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu, for Defense Minister Yoav Gallant. I think they're going to be held ultimately responsible for what happened. So politically, in the long term, uh, it's going to be very, very difficult, I think, for Netanyahu. Uh, on the short term, uh, I think there is a possibility of a unity government. It depends on what our... The criteria, I asked Ambassador Danny Danone this morning that question. He said, well, they can join any time, uh, the opposition parties. Uh, and he didn't think, I think they needed any necessary provisions of whether or not or why they would or why they wouldn't. Uh, I think I had heard that Yer Lapid said, well, we'll come, but we don't want the religious parties and we want a professional uh, coalition government. Uh, whether or not that's acceptable to Prime Minister Netanyahu, who's allied with many of these religious parties, remains to be seen. But I think it would help Israel, and I think it would help um, send a strong signal to the rest of the world and its enemies here in the region that regardless of what uh, political differences have been on display for many months, Israel is united and they will fight this enemy together. Uh, last question from a political standpoint, knowing um, the backlash that Netanyahu might have, is there any way he can bring a unity party that can, quote unquote, save his skin in the long term? It's possible. I mean, he has he, he knows uh, probably as well as anybody how to survive politically here in Israel for the long term. Um, I have thought of another example, uh, Ariel Sharon at one time, he was a political pariah and he uh, was out of the political scene for a while, but he came back and he eventually became prime minister again. So um, we'll see what happens. Uh, it's, we're, we're not at that point now. And in fact, I think uh, people that I've talked to defer that question uh, politically and, and who's to blame uh, to after Hamas is addressed or taken care of by uh, the military. Sorry, there's so much. I'm gonna give it to Jim right after this. Um, do you think there's any way the, uh, Israel goes in and just takes back Gaza and calls it a day? I mean, that enough is enough. They're not going to be given the authority because they, they seem to grow in the environment in Gaza and they just take take back control of all of Gaza. Yeah, I think that's a possibility. And I think one of the uh, things that make it reluctant or make any Israeli government reluctant to go into Gaza is you can take it over, but what are you going to do after that? How are you going to govern it? Who's going to be the govern, governing uh, entity? Uh, how do you work with a population that has been indoctrinated by Hamas's ideology uh, in effect since 2007 when they took over the Gaza Strip from the Palestinian Authority? Uh, so you have a you have a population that um, how, how do you how do you control a population like that? Uh, so it. That's one of the big challenges uh, after, if and when they may go into Gaza and take it over, um, what happens the day after that? Thank you so much, Chris. Back to you, Jim. Sure.
with Hamas coming across the border that we've been watching on the screen. I'm sure there's no official figures yet, but do you have any guesstimate in terms of the number of militia, or I should call them mass murderers rather than militia, Hamas mm. that actually penetrated and came into Israel territory? Uh, it, it, for them to take over a military base, this had to be very large numbers of yeah. I don't know exactly, Jim, but I've heard hundreds and up to a thousand, maybe more that came in. And I think there was a time uh, yesterday when it was so open. Uh, I saw one video of a guy in Gaza taking a taxi cab into Israel. Uh, so there was a long period when these murderers, as you say, you know, had free reign in so many communities to... Um, literally commit mass murder yeah but how many i don't know i mean the images are, are just stark when you see you know so many breaches in in the wall where people were running over walking over taking uh you know motorcycles over uh, just uh unbelievable images how could, how could there be that many breaks in the wall given military israel's military readiness really at virtually all times. I, I know this question is being asked in the same question in various ways, but how is that possible? Uh, I, I, I really don't know, uh, Jim. I believe I've heard as many as 29 breaches in the wall. So you had multiple areas that, that Gazans could come in and Hamas uh, could come in. Obviously, they drove over with uh, pickup trucks as well. Uh, you know, how that happened. Uh, you know, the, for several weeks, there had been disturbances on the Gaza border. And I think a lot of people dismissed those as just sort of, well, they're, they're <clears throat> uprising again, but they're on the other side of the fence. Uh, there was one story I heard today of an actual breach in the wall and some of the Hamas terrorists came across, they planted a flag and they went back. Now, I, I would assume that some of that was just testing what happens or how the IDF responds or doesn't to some of these, uh, some of these attempts at the breach in the wall. Um, obviously, I, I've seen a video of them blowing up a particular wall of, of a front end loader coming in and clearing the breach. Uh, you know, and, and I, I think it's pretty clear uh, that they probably saw what was happening, but obviously they didn't have enough uh, troops on the border to prevent those kind of massive incursions that went on. And uh, I also heard the story, uh, you know, that what was going on inside Gaza, that obviously they kept this very tight to their vest and they kept um, uh, apparently any human, any electronic communications may have been uh, either suppressed or just kept, it was a human to human communication about what they had planned, which uh, might have led to the intelligence failure. Plus, this we have to understand the Lord is moving on his calendar. This was at the end of the Feast of Tabernacles, Sukkot. It's a high holiday. So for Americans, it would be like Christmas and New Year's time. You're not thinking, you're, you're thinking family and relaxation, vacation. Plus, in Israel, being the Orthodox, they're not on their media. They're not on their phones. They're not 
on um, engaged in what's happening out there. They're engaged with God. They're engaged in loving their family and focusing there. Even now, right now, we can't talk to some of our Orthodox friends because Shemini Atzeret, the eighth day, the high home, the highest mm -hmm. day is still in observance here in America. They are not even able to express their horror and mm. to the world yet because they are observing God's sacred Sabbath. And this is an honor to them as a people that they prefer God before being able to even cry out to one another for help. And it was during the Feast of Tabernacles when the, when the tabernacle was dedicated by Moses and the temple by Solomon. And Solomon, if, let's all pray, Second Chronicles, the entire chapter 7 for Israel right now, because it was a cry for God's help and intervention to protect them. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, uh, forgive mm. their sins and heal their land. This is a corporate prayer for Israel and the nations. And as Christians, we need to join with our brothers and sisters as Ruth to Naomi. And I pray Israel will call for a sovereign day of fasting mm. and prayer for God's intervention at this biggest crisis in their history so far. And I'm praying for a three-day war. The, on the third day, God will intervene. On the third day, mm -hmm. God will resurrect and defend his people in the sight of all nations. The lion of the tribe of Judah will roar and do something as astounding as in 1948, in 1967, in 1973. And I just want to say as a Schindler, it was on October mm -hmm. 9th that Oscar died, that hit 49 years ago he was buried and is there on mount zion and 30 mm -hmm. years ago the movie came out and god moves precisely on schedule he was not caught by surprise by this at all we have to be in touch with his calendar with his what he's saying and begin reading torah all the christians start reading torah Better sheet begins on Saturday. We need to follow the scriptures because mm -hmm. they are protection. They are our ark. They are a source of deliverance. We need to stand together with the Jewish people as one new man at this time as never before. And I just thank you, Chris, for being there and representing us all so magnificently with your compassion and your concern and your comfort for the Jewish people. Thank you so much. Well, Rosemary, well said, and, and it's just a privilege to be here, uh, to be alongside all my colleagues, and I would say uh, Joel Rosenberg, Eric Steckelback, Dan Cohen with Newsmax, trying to be watchmen and watchwomen on the wall uh, to report on what's happening here so people can be informed and they can be educated, and most of all, so people can pray and stand with the Jewish people in their darkest hour. Um, as you said, it happened on the end of uh, the Feast of Tabernacles on Simcha Torah when the joy of the word of God is celebrated in synagogues uh, all over here in Israel and around the world in synagogues, just the joy of God's word. And, uh, and at the very same time, and also at the end of a very holy consecrated time beginning with Rosh Hashanah the 10 days of Yom Kippur, the holiest day of the Jewish calendar, and then celebrated a few days later with the Feast of Tabernacles and the, um, you know, the, the marking how God protected the Jewish people 
um, through the wilderness. And, and uh, as you say, a very, very holy time. And uh, many Jews here in Israel, they did find out at the end of Sabbath, some there in the States um, will find it out or found it out later today. Um, and, and, and such a tragic time at such a holy time. Because I see this, these are the feasts of the Lord. These aren't the Jewish feasts. These right. are God's feasts. And so this is a direct attack against God himself. Mm. And I'm seeing that the Lord himself will take up the uh, the vengeance. He says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And because of what you just explained, it's not just on any random day. It's specifically aimed toward the holiness, the sovereignty of the Lord, the King of kings and and Lord of Lords of all the world. And so this is a, a spiritual battle in which Christians need to engage as their finest hour. You are fighting right. World War Three right now. And if we're silent, you know, our silence yeah. when the Jews were being uh, arrested and put in concentration camps by Hitler led to World yeah. War Two. So not only six million died, but six, six mil million, but 60 million. So our silence... And our a lack of involvement will pro propitiate us into an actual World War III, and you will be involved physically. Can, can I ask, we're going to go to prayer here in just a little bit, but Chris, can I ask some logistic kinds of questions again? And both these questions were already asked, and perhaps there are no answers for us this time. But when I turned the TV on yesterday, there were 40 killed. Now there's 700. So it's gone up 18 times over. When I turn on the TV, there were 200 injured. Now there's 2,200. And so it's gone up more than tenfold. Uh, we're hearing dozens kidnapped. It's a little bit harder to know how many are kidnapped because you can look at injured, you can look at deceased, but the, the ones that are missing, you don't maybe know yet. And just yeah. gone, kidnapped, because it could be entire families and nobody's discovered the whole family's gone. Um, I have a whole so, page of missing people. So, so we, we, we could be, we're saying dozens, but that number, I think you said, or somebody said, it could end up being a hundred, could be many more. Now, Israel is very good at surgical strikes with such precision in rescuing a person. They don't leave somebody behind. They're, they're the best. But when you've got maybe a hundred or, or, or 200, God forbid, in an area that is the most densely populated area almost of the world, Gaza, with millions compact in there. How, how do you, and you at the same time have to strike hard? Uh, they've been swatting at this gnat in the past, always keeping their eye on, on Hezbollah, but Bashira on Iran. But now this gnat is no longer a gnat. It's a boa constrictor that's come at them. So they have to strike back hard how militarily are their minds working right now to pull off two opposite things to bring great destruction to get to the bad guys mm -hmm. and yet to try to find babies and children and mommies and daddies scattered who knows where all over gaza maybe a hundred of them or so and to try to rescue them while you're doing this other opera how, how does that Tell me how the military mind works on, on, on that. Well, I, I'm sure it's operating a bit like ours in the sense that uh, 
they don't know where these people are, well, presumably they may not know where these are. Uh, I remember for years, uh, you may remember the name Gilad Shalit, who was an IDF soldier kidnapped on a base on the Gaza border. He was kept for several years, and there was the hope that maybe a team of, uh, you know, Israeli commandos could go in there and rescue him. Uh, that didn't happen. They actually uh, traded, I think, hundreds of terrorists in exchange for one IDF soldier. So how they do these twin uh, operations of rescuing these hostages and inflicting the damage that's necessary to defeat Hamas and its infrastructure uh, is, is a conundrum right now that I'm sure the military minds in the IDF are, are trying to solve. It's, it is a conundrum and uh, it's, it's an um, enigma that they're facing and, and how they solve it, I don't know. But that's certainly one way we can pray. Pray that they would have the wisdom and they could have the knowledge, the intelligence um, uh, of where these people are, how they're being held, and uh, to rescue them and bring them home. Does I've been I've been in church services and such today, so I'm, I'm out of the loop. So I may be asking a question that everybody else knows except me. Are there are there all kinds of incursions occurring from the north? northern border as we speak right now has that started no i i have heard that the um hamad uh, hezbollah has shot a few mortars into uh into israel territory i believe the idf responded with artillery and also uh you remember you may remember that hezbollah set up a tent um just inside israeli territory in a place called hardov um, we went up there actually the end of July to do a story on that. Um, we couldn't get close enough to actually see the tent, but uh, I believe that tent has been eliminated now. So uh, we interviewed yesterday a lady named Sarit Zehavi, who's an expert, a uh, former lieutenant colonel in the IDF, who's an expert on Hezbollah and its leader, Hassan Nasrallah. Uh, she's of the... Uh, opinion, a well-informed opinion that, that Hezbollah may be trying to provoke Israel on the northern border. Uh, but the, but they haven't been, I think, a lot of incursions. Uh, this mortar attack, I, I, I do have heard of, uh, Jim, but uh, that's, that's another major uh, point for prayer is what happens on the northern border with Israel and Hezbollah. We have heard numbers as high as 175,000 missiles uh, from Hezbollah and numbers up to 325,000. I don't know what the accurate number is, but what would be causing them to be operating in restraint? Why would this not, why wouldn't they, knowing how vile and evil they are, why wouldn't they strike at this particular moment? It's a great question. Uh, you might why Israel wouldn't strike uh, Hezbollah. No, no, knowing knowing how bad Hezbollah is, how oh. was, why wouldn't they take advantage of Israel's vulnerability down on Gaza and strike at this time? Then I'll then I'll it's, ask the question the reverse way. But first of all, I'm asking why wouldn't Hezbollah, yeah, uh, as evil as they are, strike right, right. now? Well, it's a very good question, uh, and it might be a matter of timing. And it might be a matter of what's going on in the minds of the Ayatollah and the leaders in Tehran right now. 
do they want all the infrastructure, weaponry, uh, funding, arming, training that they have invested in Hezbollah? Do they want to expend that right now? Uh, and many people have expected that they were saving Hezbollah as an insurance policy uh, from a, any Israeli attack against Iran's nuclear facilities. So it might be a question of, do they want to do that now? And uh, back in 2006, we were covering the Second Lebanon War. At the time, it was estimated that Hezbollah had many as 14,000 rockets, maybe 15,000. They shot almost 4,000 during a 34-day war, and now they have maybe 10 times or more of those rockets. Um, what I was told after the 2006 Second Lebanon War that Israel won't fight it like they did then, that they're going to go down and they're going to go into Lebanon. Uh, I've heard quotes like vomit into the Stone Age. Uh, and, and so in Lebanon, you know, won't be the same or Lebanon will pay the price of allowing Hezbollah to set up a, basically a mini terror state within Lebanon. Um, so whether, why Hezbollah may not strike right now while Israel is facing such a catastrophe on the southern border, um, you'll have to go into the mind of uh, Hassan Nasrallah and probably the Ayatollah and uh, his leadership in, in reg the regime. Uh, and then to, on the converse side, you'll have to get into the minds of the IDF now what, whether or not they are considering a preemptive strike to eradicate the threat of these 150 to 200,000 or more rockets that really represent a strategic threat uh, to the state of Israel. Does Iran have the capability to deliver a nuclear bomb at this point? If not, how close are they? Well, I don't know exactly, but from what I've heard and what we've reported, they're very close to getting enough enriched uranium to develop maybe five nuclear weapons and maybe just days away. They're very close to getting military grade enriched uranium, it would be about 90%. The two other um, elements they need to deliver a nuclear weapon is a ballistic missile, which they have a lot of. Um, so that's probably, they have two elements of what they could do to deliver a nuclear weapon. The third um, element and which many people believe Iran hasn't yet mastered is to miniaturize a nuclear weapon and put it on the top of a ballistic missile. Uh, that I've heard they might be a year away from, but you know, many people say, or some people in the intelligence community will say, you don't know what you don't know. So maybe they're closer than, uh, than a year away or more. Um, so, but they haven't tested anything yet, apparently, uh, but it's, it still represents probably the number one existential threat to the Jewish state. With the, when you're dealing with Iran and a nuclear weapon, Israel only has one choice, and that is a preemptive strike. Right. You yeah. can't wait to be hit. They're gone. Mm -hmm. Rosemary, yeah. you? Yeah, I just went we, in worship this past week, and I turned to my husband because I heard the Lord say to me, the impossible provides the opportunity for God to mm. appear. I said, the Lord says the impossible is providing an opportunity for him to show up. But I didn't know it was in relation to this. So I just want to declare and proclaim the word of the Lord. What Amen. looks impossible to us in the natural 
is God's opportunity to appear and to demonstrate his power, his glory, his faithfulness, his covenant. So we look to the hills where comes our strength. Our strength comes from the Lord. And we will not be shaken. We will be firm. We will stand with Israel. We'll report Mm -hmm. everything. Report. One of the main things we can do to help Israel, besides our fasting and prayer, is to speak out the truth and to not cover up or be silent, but to expose even the atrocities as difficult as they are to see. Mm. We cannot hold back. We have to be witnesses of this right now. This is our Holocaust scenario in this Mm. generation. So I, I call forth the righteous among the nations in the name of Yeshua. I call forth many mantles, Father God, to come upon your people, that they be willing to lay even down their life to be a shield for their friends, the Jewish people. And they will not count the cost in this life, but they will consider it a privilege and an honor as Corey Ten Boom's father declared when he was being taken to the concentration camp. Father, we thank you for the privilege of being alive for now, to be available, to do what we can, and to give all that we can for the salvation of your precious nation, Israel, and those who love you, Lord. Amen. Chris, thank you. Thank you so much. We're, we so appreciate you giving us this time. And you've been, uh, you're, I know you're in demand everywhere right now. And I just pray rest and sleep upon you. Thank you so much. Uh, as you as you carry this load, we're deeply grateful for your life. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Mario. Mario back to you. Yeah, I just want to share with what Rosemary said. Um, as I was preparing for our our sermon on Simchat Torah, um, it was on Simchat Torah on the twenty first day of the seventh month that the mm. prophet Haggai stood up after Cyrus was gone and the builders were totally demoralized because of the resistance to the rebuilding and the condition of the temple. And and the prophet said, how do you see the temple in comparison to the glory of Solomon's temple? And that's where the declaration came um, that that God was going to shake everything that can be shaken. Mm. But in the midst of the shaking, God was going to release his supernatural glory. And then I had all my notes prepared, and then this happened yesterday. Mm. And, uh, what I was going to say is, even in America, we're very concerned. Um, the door has certainly opened for judgment upon America. We're concerned about sleeper cells. We're concerned about judgment because of turning our backs against Israel, where the people we use for uh, uh, Iranian uh, negotiations have been caught up in the Iranian sp- uh, 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 spying. Uh, uh, against our nation. So we've opened the door wide open. But the promise of God is that in the midst of the shaking, God said, my spirit is abiding in your midst and the glory of your latter house. And this is for Israel. The glory of the latter house, even in the midst of shaking, shall be greater than the former. God is on his throne. And as Rosemary was just implying, we need to go higher to get his news in the midst of the news that we're hearing now. Yeah. He who, 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 who keeps Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, neither slumbers nor sleeps. And this is the time appointed for Zion. Amen. Amen. We want to thank you so much. We love yeah. you. 
we'll be praying for you and anything you need from us, we're here. Yeah. Well, let me let me end in prayer as well, if that's okay. Please. Father, we just call out to you. And Lord, you have seen everything. You knew what was going to happen. Father, we pray for Israel today. We pray for your comfort upon your people. Comfort, comfort ye my people. Father, those that have lost loved ones that are mourning today. And mourning on a day when, when you sh everyone would be celebrating and joyful about the word of God. So we pray for comfort for them. We pray for profound comfort for those that have lost loved ones inside enemy territory that have been <clears throat> whipped, that have been in cages. Lord, it's just, it's just so horrific. It's almost unspeakable and brings up so many painful memories. So Israel right now is traumatized. They're shocked. They're confused. They're angry. Lord, uh, just have your hand upon your people. Let your Holy Spirit, the Ruach Kodesh, rest upon your people. Give them peace. And Lord, we pray for wisdom for the leaders, the political leadership, the military leadership. We also pray for unity, unity among Israel right now, that for this season, they would rally together, that they could be one and unified and uh and Lord, that, that you, Holy Spirit, would arise and that your enemies would be scattered. And Lord, you would even free the people held hostage by the tyranny of Hamas inside Gaza. Free these people. And Lord, we pray that you would have your way from now on there in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, and the encouraging thing I know is not you're not only mobilizing prayer, but so many others are mobilizing prayer. We had Robert Stearns of Eagle's Wings and uh, Heidi Baker with uh, Iris uh, Global uh, in our studio, and they're mobilizing prayer. You're mobilizing prayer. I, I think more people are maybe praying for Israel right now than ever before. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Chris. We love you. God Welcome bless you. Bye, Jim and Rosemary. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please read the show notes for additional details if you would like a copy of the book or resources mentioned. Remember that WellVersed is a 501c3 tax-deductible nonprofit organization. We rely on your support and partnership. Don't forget to hit subscribe to keep up to date with our latest episodes. Leave us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. Thank you for listening to the WellVersed podcast. For more information, please go to www.wellversedworld.org.